Welcome to the Raven Narratives, stories from the high desert. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder, and we're the co-producers of the Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told live by Steve Underwood at the Sunflower Theater in Cortez, Colorado, in January of 2016, when the theme for the evening was Wild Places. In a genetic sense, Steve first arrived in the greater Yellowstone area in 1933, when his mom and grandparents visited for the first time. Steve is currently the Wildlands Fire Chief at Mesa Verde National Park and has a Brady Bunch passel of children, Ben, Tom, Hannah, Sarah, and Jake. Here's Steve's story. My mom grew up out in eastern Wyoming, a little oil patch called Midwest Wyoming. Her graduating class was 12 kids. And when she was five years old, uh, my grandparents, my mom, drove to Yellowstone. And for them, it was a big deal. There was not uh, a lot of money back then. They were in the Depression. And I've heard some vivid stories of, like, bales, uh, box bags of flour and sugar being hidden behind the cupboard because it was such a commodity to have, and they weren't supposed to have too much. So they made this trip to Yellowstone. And the um, thing was, what she didn't realize is that about seven years earlier, this was 1933 when she was five, about seven years earlier, the last pack of wolves had been extirpated from Yellowstone. And the managers did that because we thought that what people wanted to see were the elk and the bison and the um, moose doing an idyllic Eden-like existence. And what we didn't want to see was have a pack of wolves pull one of these creatures down in front of visitors. And so they removed them all. And about 40 or 50 years later, the scientists in the park started realizing, hmm, something's not right here. And with the Endangered Species Act, they were obligated by law to bring back species that were no longer there if they could. And so in 1991, um, they had a a process begin where they were going to bring back Rainer Duell's packs of northern gray wolves. These wolves would be picked up in Canada and transported south. About 400 miles, the 500 miles was the range. Um, At that time, there was a lot of anger in the Montana community. A lot of ranchers were up in arms, literally. Uh, Threats were made. There was a public sentiment was amongst the ranching community was very much against this. And and in their defense, I've got friends who are ranchers, and and these wolves are killing machines. They are huge animals. And they look at a a little uh, hamburger on the hoof, and they just laugh. You know, they pull these um, beef down, and, and it's... Is an easy, easy prey for them. So, um, with the death, death threats were leveled against us and said, if whoever's going to be bringing these wolves down, we're going to shoot you. And so, um, the first pack of wolves was brought down, I think, around January 6th of 1995. And I was not involved with that. 12 wolves. And what they wanted to do is get an intact pack of wolves together. They didn't want to have. Um, <clears throat> Uh, like a wolf here and a wolf there, and they have to reestablish hierarchy. And so they got intact packs of wolves. Um, what they also did is they got really nice specimens, and they got the, like a healthy uh, wolves, healthy packs. They tried and got the best they could get, genetic stock. And um, the second pack of wolves, I got tagged 
to be a driver. Um, and what we did is we used stock trailers. And I was in the decoy trailer. That's how scary they were. So the wolves were not going to be in my regular stock trailer. It was, uh, they were going to be the one that my boss was driving. And we had a big truck, and we're driving north. And part of the story is that it was really cold. Um, it, by the time we, we left Mammoth Hot Springs at about 3, and we got up to Missoula at about 9, and we were at the airport there, and it was about 20 below zero. And 20 below zero is kind of a real interesting temperature in Montana. Um, <laughs> you get kind of used to it, but we pull up next to this airplane on the dark side of this uh, tarmac up at the Missoula Airport, and it had like it was a turboprop airplane with maybe eight windows, and the windows are all kind of steamed up on the inside. And we open the door, and I was, I was like right there in the very front because I was the guy who's going to carry the wolves out. And uh, this raft of condensation, this, this 20 below zero, hits the humid air inside this uh, airplane, and it just condenses. And so there's this layer of fog, of mist, going around all the wolves. And one of the, the biologists said, here, come take a look. And they lifted up, and it was like a pie sheet kind of metal about that thick, or a cookie sheet. They lifted it up, and there was this wolf staring at us with this intelligence that, you know, I just remembered these eyes. And there was, there was no lights, but there were lights in the airport all around there. And, um, and they're, they're used to sort of showing the people who are doing the work what's going on, just because it'd be, not be good for us to drive all the way up there and not see these animals. And there was just this, this intelligence and this, like, I'm getting out of here. So they shut it back down, and uh, we, we carried them out of this airplane, the kind of mist coming out of the plane. And we load them into this one stock truck, and we drive off. And they also had two uh, Ranger cars, like the Ranger vehicles that you see up in Mesa Verde. Each vehicle had four armed Rangers. And then I'm the decoy, so I'm driving behind the, uh, the wolves. And we go down, and uh, we end up in uh, Butte to have a rest stop there at the rest stop. And I go in, and um, yeah, I know from being on fire crews that you don't want to be the last guy. So you kind of go in, you come out. And I come out, and I'm seeing the other stock truck just racing up the, dry, up the ramp, like already a quarter, half mile away. And I thought, oh, I didn't take that long, did I? And I come, I go run to my truck, and I get in there, and I'm kind of like, God, Andy, this is my boss, Andy Mitchell. And, um, what's going on? Well, he'd gotten out of there, and he looked in the back, and there was a wolf on the, where the hay is kept, and it had gotten out of its cage, out of the kennel. And the wolf was just sitting there. His pack was all right there, and he hadn't jumped out, but he'd gotten out of this kennel. So we are uh, racing off down towards uh, Livingston, Montana, and where we turned south there, and then we're kind of going south and west, and trying to think, I, so I'm saying I'm on the radio, like, why don't we just stop at a DOT place where it's fenced, we'll go in there, and we'll, you know, and, and where's like Marlon Perkins' sidekick, Jim, with the, <laughs> with the um, dart gun, and we hadn't prepared for that, because we didn't think they would escape. And so the, I'm trying to watch, and the, our vehicles can only go about 70 miles an hour, they have governors on them, and I'm trying to watch to see if it's gonna bail out. And you can imagine um, what the Park Service would, how we'd be like a bumbling people if we had let a wolf go <laughs> up near Bozeman. <laughs> so we, we go into Livingston and the law enforcement guys, 
turn on their head their overheads and they and it was like 12 o'clock or one o'clock at night and they didn't want to tell any of the local sheriff or police what they were doing and they shut down the traffic which fortunately there wasn't any and there weren't any Livingston police going by and we go ripping through the exit to head south I think it's 89 um, start racing in to towards Yellowstone again I'm just trying to see if this animal's still there and I and everybody's kind of freaked out and we, we didn't stop at all the whole thing was like a high-speed chase just about we go through the north um, west gate of Yellowstone by Mammoth we go up to the top, and they had a big garage, and by then there's 100 people there. Everybody's been woken up. This was supposed to be a quiet event, but all the park employees there, Dan Shawley, this crazy chief ranger they used to have is there. Everybody's there, and this truck in front of me then just races in to the garage, and um, the door slams shut behind them. And I come in, and I, I go through the little door, and we look in the back of the truck, and the wolf was there. And it was up on the hay, and it was just looking down. And they darted it. Um, turned out that this was the alpha wolf, and he weighed 135 pounds. And he was shot about two years later over by Wisdom, Montana, and he weighed 165 pounds. And what he had done is he had um, the bars, there were aluminum bars as thick as my finger here. And he had bent those bars back and pulled them out. And then he lifted this pie sheet up, but he wasn't going to leave his pack. And he stayed there because that was they were his charges. And he had pulled out two of his canine teeth um, when he to get out of there. And I took one of the bars that had been broken off completely. And I'm a big guy. And I tried to bend it. And I, it was already curved. And I tried to push as hard as I can with one end on the floor and the other end in my arm, and I was like that. I, I could not move it. Um, this wolf, the intact pack, was put into a pen. It was acclimated to the park. Um, he pulled out his remaining two canines in this uh, hurricane fence, kind of uh, with 12-foot fences. He did not escape again, and they released him. And although he died about um, a year, two years later, he had left his genes in lots and lots of uh, puppies and lots of wolves in or have him as his uh, ancestor. Um, about two years later, I took my son, who was then about seven years, six or seven years old, my Ben, the brilliant one, and we hiked out to a um, fire lookout. And I brought a kite, and we spent the night at this old fire lookout. And uh, he was really scared, and we spent the night, and in the morning we got up and we're flying this kite off the top of this old closed fire lookout, and we heard the wolves howl. And, and that's my story. Thanks to Steve for sharing that story. If you want to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a gallery of our storytellers and find out what the themes will be for future events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. You can find out more at ksjd.org. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. 
Find out more at redscarfshots.com. Now for an outtake. <laughs> and they called up the chief ranger in the park, who was a former Marine officer from Vietnam, who every once in a while would intimidate you by pulling out a glass eye with a Marine emblem uh-huh. on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Shali or of him? No, but I love that. Yeah, yeah, and he would pull it out, and then, and he was used to kind of like Vietnaming his way around the park and ended up ended up getting in trouble on his in other ways. But in this case, he was like, "Just keep driving, Andy. Good decision." <laughs>